Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power, brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome back. My name is Diana Kander and I am an experimenter. In my day job, I help companies solve complicated problems by uncovering their blind spots. And this show is an attempt to do the same thing for me personally. Over a year ago, I made a list of 49 different things that I wanted to improve about myself. And each week I talked to an expert to understand the topic in a completely new way and find a number of different experiments that I could try. Today, my guest is Michael Ventura. Michael is the CEO and founder of Subrosa, a strategy and design firm that has worked with some of the world's largest and most important organizations, from Johnson & Johnson, Adobe, to the TED Conference, Delta Airlines, and even The Daily Show. Michael's first book and the subject of our discussion today is Applied Empathy. You know, empathy is a squishy word. Sometimes it's confused with sympathy or misinterpreted as being nice. That's not empathy. Empathy is about understanding. It lets us see the world from other points of view and helps us form insights that can lead us to new and better ways of thinking, being, and doing. Michael and I are going to discuss why organizations low in empathy are so slow at making decisions and have frequent miscommunications, the many different ways to be empathetic and understand others, what kind of changes we can make in an organization to make empathy a habit, and how to get people to give you honest feedback. If you enjoy the conversation, please take a second to leave a review and like the show wherever you listen to it and share the love by telling others about this conversation on empathy with Michael Ventura. Michael, excited to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. How do you know when you start working with a new company or organization that they are high on empathy? I think there are probably two very simple sounding but hard to uh, deliver on attributes for companies. One is good listening. So do they actually really listen or are they waiting for you to take a breath so that they can jump in and say all the smart stuff they want to say? Um, so are, do they have a good behavior of listening and do they have a good behavior uh, or an attitude toward inquiry? Um, I think a lot of the time we see organizations who skip question asking and try to launch right into uh, problem solving and that behavior and uh, ability to ask thoughtful questions and to truly slow down enough to hear and absorb responses is uh, you know, fundamental foundation for anything that starts with empathy. So you can tell in your first meeting with somebody how much empathy exists in the company. Oh, for sure. I mean, like, I'll give you a quick example. Last week, we went to meet a new client um, and it was part of a RFP process. So we knew there were multiple shops coming in and out. And there are lots of ways you can run that. Um, the way this particular experience went was uh, we went in for our meeting and when we walked out of the room, the next firm was literally sitting on the other side of the wall waiting for us to come out. And we all awkwardly kind of passed each other in the hallway and gave each other some nods and hellos. But, um, you know, that was an indicator that they didn't really 
care much about creating a good experience for whomever their next partner is going to be. They just wanted to be efficient for themselves. And, you know, that's not a huge knock on them. And we didn't say like, oh, there's no way we would ever work with them. But it was an indicator that they really hadn't put themselves in the perspective of the folks who are going through this and try to make it a experience that feels um, you know, thoughtful for them as well. Okay. So if you're in a meeting with a potential client or a team, you're just watching a team interact and there's not a lot of empathy in the way that you've described in the room. How does that then manifest itself in their work? I think things get slower for sure. Decision-making doesn't happen as efficiently. Uh, Often you will find miscommunication because one of the fundamental ways we we think about empathy is uh, how direct or how clear is the step between these four specific things, what you thought, what you said, what they heard, and what they understood. And often in that type of flow of conversation, good empathic leaders and thinkers know where the breakdown occurred. Maybe I thought the right thing, but communicated it poorly, or maybe I communicated it well, but it wasn't the right time or it didn't land in the right way. So really kind of helping clients to understand that as we work with empathy, we have to get more self-aware. We have to get better at listening. We have to get more curious about those folks who are in the room with us. And we probably have to get a little more deft in the way we shift gears, depending on the needs of the moment. Sometimes we may need to really be uh, perked up and listening and, and cued into everything the person across from us is saying. And other times it might be that the, the lack of conversation means we need to take a break. We need to get some rest. We need to air out the room. We need to restart. So um, good clients, I think, have a good sense of how to use uh, the inputs that good empathic behaviors allow us to gather and use those to inform to certain decision making. So if a leader is poor at empathy, do they just always assume that it's the listener's fault that they didn't get it? You know, you mentioned like the three different places where it yeah. can break down. Yeah, I think that's a huge that's a huge at, uh, behavior that we see uh, in in organizations that could use more empathy. Is yeah, it, it, if if it didn't go the way they wanted it to, it's not my fault. That's so interesting because, you know, I work with a lot of organizations who say like, well, we want to teach the staff, we want to teach the organization how to do things, and and usually I never thought about it this way. They're not like we want to learn how to <laughs> do right. something differently, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's for everyone else, but not for them. Uh, that's very interesting. So is empathy synonymous with being customer obsessed or is it something different? So the way we think about applied empathy is that this is about perspective taking to gain richer and deeper understanding of others. But for us, it's not just about customers. So customers are one vector on this but if we stick just with external parties to the to the organization you know you've got within your customers plenty of subsets uh, most organizations don't have a one size fits all cookie cutter customer right there are there are uh, a whole host of of subsets of them. Then you've got the media who also consumes information from your organization and shareholders and a board and prospective new employees and so on and so forth. And so when empathies are operating, uh, when organizations are operating with empathy, one of the things that they are good at is knowing that for this particular audience, this is the the right altitude of conversation. This is the right information we need to put on the table 
And so when we, when we build cultures that train, incentivize and reward empathic behaviors in their teams, we ultimately see the knock-on effects in the way teams collaborate, in the way policies are developed and, and deployed inside organizations. We see it in how uh, customer satisfaction increases. We see it in the retention of new talent, uh, of existing talent and the recruitment of new talent. One of the things that we talk about with a lot of organizations is as you get to know your colleagues and as you get to know the 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 zeitgeist of your organization, there is altitudinal differences in some of the information you're going to pick up. So for instance, we, we use an analogy of climate and weather a lot. So when we're getting to know each other, there are going to be certain aspects of you and the way you work and the way you show up and your personality type and the way you lead that are foundational, that are climate, right? So think about the city you live in. The city you live in on a 12-month basis has pretty consistent climate year over year, right? You know what months are going to be warm and sunny. You know what, what months are, uh, might might be colder or wetter or drier or whatever it is, right? That's our climate. And it's, and it's built on, on years of, of imprinting, of repetition of this is, you know, this is what it is. So that's our habits. That's our belief systems. That's our real, you know, Maslowian kind of like foundation of our, of our pyramid. Um, but then there's also weather and weather is moving in and out all day long, right? And weather can change quickly. And those that's circumstantial, that's time-based, that's, uh, you know, uh, interpersonal. There's a lot of stuff that happens at the weather level. And so one of the things good empathic leaders know how to do is in getting to know someone, being able to understand what's climate attributes and, and what are weather attributes, and then also knowing in a particular moment where a crisis is occurring or a challenge is emerging or what it might be, uh, how to um, how to address an issue uh, that might be more fundamental and sort of in, in, ingrained in you as a habit versus something that is a reaction to circumstances happening around you that might need to change in a different way. You know, that's really interesting. So I told you I work with Jesse Jacob, who recommended you to come on the show. And every meeting that Jesse and I have, we both wear these things called WHOOP that measures um, a lot about your sleep, your recovery, um, and your just general exhaustion level. And we start every single meeting by comparing like how much sleep we got the night before and where our recovery is. It gives you a score on like zero mm. to 100 on like how your body is is ready to process stress today. So for instance, if you're in the red, then we're not going to have like a heavy cognitive meeting. We're just going to get through the minimum we need to get through and then move on. And if we're both having a high day, then, then we can really attack big projects. I love that. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a perfect example of how a little signaling can go a long way into guiding the, the guiding the relationship. Yeah, but I love the difference of thinking about it because if she's having like a red day, that's not Jesse, that's the weather. Like the, I, right. I know the core Jesse, right? I just need to deal mm -hmm. with what we have in the, in the day, you know? That's right. I think it's fitting that we're talking about empathy and we get to talk about NBKC. I think they're a very empathetic bank because they're very good at listening and asking questions. I've been wanting to tell you all week that NBKC is an equal housing lender and a member of FDIC. Their CEO reads every customer comment online and there's a website Glassdoor where employees review 
uh, like anonymously your company and he reads every one of those and responds to those. I've never heard of anything like that at any other bank. Also, equal housing lender and member FDIC. <laughs> if you go to mbkc.com slash Diana, you'll see a completely different bank that has listened to their customers, doesn't charge fees for opening an account, overdraft fees, n- none of that stuff because they're very empathetic and you get to see a bank that's very different. As people can probably tell, I don't do the banking in our family, so I have less to contribute to these commercials. But we know that the bank is different and they can find out more at nbkc.com slash Diana. I love the fact that all of our advertisers are companies that we loved first and then reached out to and we were like, can we talk about you on the podcast? And Purple Mattress is no different. I can't believe they took our calls. Purple Mattress, totally different than other mattresses. It's got this like firm in the right spots, soft in the right spots thing going on. It's really breathable, so it sleeps cool. And it gives you this like zero gravity type feel. So it works for for any sleeping position, which is good for somebody like me because I roll over and over and over all night. Would you call it a honeycomb? Is that what it feels like? It's just just heavenly. Yeah. <laughs> They're offering a 100-night risk-free trial. If you're not fully satisfied, you can return your mattress for a full refund. Backed by a 10-year warranty, they offer free shipping and returns and a free in-home setup and old mattress removal. I mean, it's a pretty good deal. It's a great deal. You're going to love purple. And right now, our listeners get a free purple pillow with the purchase of a mattress. That's in addition to all the great gifts that they have on the website. You just text Diana to 84888. The only way to get this free pillow is to text Diana to 84888. That's Diana to 84888. What else do I want to know about the people that I work with? So one thing that we developed is this uh, set of seven archetypes and behaviors. And so unlike a Myers-Briggs or a StrengthsFinder or something like that, which is going to type you and diagnose you as a particular uh, 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 makeup or, or archetype, what we've done with these is said that a good empath actually knows how to work with all seven. And so I'll give you a couple examples of what they are. So uh, one is the convener. Conveners gather their understanding, gather their empathy through managing the set and setting of of an experience with others. So the mindset and the environment in which the conversation or the experience is going to occur really helps them create the circumstances for them to understand others better, right? So it's the kind of person who says, you know, I've got to have a harder conversation with this person today. I'm not going to do it in the office. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take them for lunch today and we're going to take a walk and we're going to talk about it outside of the building because this feels like the kind of work that needs doing in a different setting, right? So good conveners know that and that is innate in them. It's not like something they, you know, they have to, they have to sit down and say, I need to show up as a convener. They just, they kind of intuitively know that's a play, that's a way to play uh, effectively in the space versus a uh, uh, confidant who knows that trust and active listening are the fundamental way to signal to someone else that you're there to you're there for them and their best interests and by signaling that people open up more quickly to those types of folks and share more 
uh, more completely because they know that they're in a safe space that can contain that conversation. And so we've got seven of those. And what we ask a lot of uh, the teams that we work with to do is to self-identify. And we have a, we have a diagnostic tool we're also developing um, that'll allow people to say like, these are a couple of my strengths across those seven. These are a couple areas I'd like to work on a bit more. And so on an individual basis, that's really interesting, of course, because then we can go down a whole path of trainings and self-development. But when you extrapolate the individual to a project team or a department, or perhaps even the organization at large, you can start to see some really interesting patterns and trends. Like, is there a skills gap on uh, another one of the archetypes, um, the alchemist? And the alchemist is an experimenter, right? They, they have no fear of failure because failure isn't failure to an alchemist. Failure is an opportunity to understand. It's an opportunity to learn. Uh, it's like uh, that old Edison quote, uh, which was like, I didn't fail at making a light bulb, I learned, you know, 590 ways to not do it before I figured out how to do it. Right. And so, um, in that same vein, sometimes we need to show up with a, with, with a fearlessness about experimentation because that's how we will understand something. But perhaps we've recruited and, uh, and imprinted on people through the culture of the organization, a resistance to risk and failure because, um, for whatever reason, maybe you're not rewarded for it. Maybe you're, you're actually penalized for it, whatever it is. Um, so that might be a, uh, an, uh, a forcing a factor or, or a way that the, the workforce is being edited on unconsciously uh, to perpetuate that skills gap. So if we can actually take a look at an organization uh, in total, or at least a team or uh, a group, and see where their skills all line up with each other, it's really valuable for people to know, oh, these type, these are the types of ways we all work well. These are some skills that maybe we could all learn how to do better so that we can work more effectively. So I should be trying to do all seven, right? Yeah. Yeah. So unlike a Myers-Briggs that says you are an ENFP, um, what we want is everyone to get more flexible and comfortable with all seven so that like a gearbox in a car, um, you can shift between gears elegantly depending on the circumstances. I see. And and each one, like, are there people who are usually something like is one of them more popular than than others or it's just dispersed in your research? It's pretty dispersed. What I would say is that most people have two to three that they identify with pretty naturally. Um, those will vary person to person, but there will always be of the seven, somewhere between two and three that people are like, yeah, that's me. That's the way I show up. That doesn't seem out of the ordinary. Wait a minute. Not everyone shows up that way. And there's this like curiosity, like, oh, I thought that like, you know, everyone's good at that. But then they realize, no, that's actually a skill you have. And that's something you've developed over time, or that's something you, you know, you naturally have a predisposition towards. And then inevitably you'll probably have one or two that people self-identify as a weakness and would like to work on. And then there's a couple, a couple in the middle that are sort of, you know, like, uh, the, the not too, not too hot, not too cold stuff. What's the most interesting though, is we do a series of exercises around this. So they'll self-identify and then they'll go through a series of exercises in groups. And then we'll, we'll resurvey the teams and talk with them about the experience. And what's fascinating is that after going through the, the workshop that we put them through, most people will realize that what they perceived to be a strength is not an outsized strength. It's not something that is like night and day better than others. And what they perceived to be a weakness was actually often um, not as difficult to shift into as they might have thought. So 
the truth of the matter is we probably oversell our strengths and uh, and sell ourselves short on what we perceive as weaknesses. And we're all pretty much closer to the middle on everything. And that's a nice realization for people to come to through this process where they they can start to accept the fact that, yes, we we probably do have some predispositions towards some strengths, but at the end of the day, everything with practice will get better. So you're saying that all of us have inherent, you know, empath abilities, right? I do. I wholeheartedly believe that. And yeah, it's a spectrum. Don't get me wrong. Um, and there are certainly people for whom, um, because it is a, it is a, uh, a, a trainable skill, uh, like anything you train, if you're not going to train it, it's going to atrophy. So if you haven't practiced empathy in years, if you've just been a, you know, a, a blinders on command and control type leader who doesn't listen to anything and doesn't ask questions and so on and so forth, well, it's going to be harder for you because you're working on atrophied muscles to get back to a, a state of fitness. Whereas if someone is already working in this way and making an effort and investing their time in learning about themselves and the people around them, this might come a little more naturally. How do we turn empathy into a habit? I've been on a big habit kick this season of the show. Mm-hmm. So do you have any advice? Well, the first answer is is kind of a um, throwaway one, perhaps, but I but it's 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 the right answer is practice, right? I think that one of the things like you can't you can't make this habitualized if you're not doing it regularly. So that practice is important, but that you know I kind of feel like that's a half answer and not that not that in- interesting, but it is fundamental. I think that one of the one of the other things that make it a habit is is by looking at your um, review and performance criteria for teams. So one of the things that we've helped organizations do in the past year is say, what are the behaviors or actions that we want to reward in people in order to incentivize them to think this way? And so rewriting performance and evaluation criteria, thinking about how teams peer review, thinking about how uh, project uh, performance is tracked or, or individual performance is tracked, and really kind of dissecting some of those things so that there's some quant on this very soft, very qual uh, uh, behavior that we're talking about. Because if it stays in the realm of a, uh, a nice to have and a soft science and some of the other ways people categorize these things, uh, it's not going to, it's not going to um, have the right gas in the tank to keep going. And so we want to find ways to help quantify the right behaviors and ultimately reward the right behaviors so that it becomes more habitual. So if you don't mind me just totally milking you for all your consulting uh, information, <laughs> like what kinds of questions should I be putting in the in the annual reviews and in the project reviews that I'm not currently looking at? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think one of one of the important things is to uh, approach reviews in a 360 appro- uh, mindset, right? So not just top down, bottom up, but laterally as well. Um, getting that diversity of input to a review is valuable. Uh, one of the questions we always want to know is, you know, are, are they a good listener? How have they exhibited, uh, you know, uh, investing in you and 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 listening to you and your needs? What are the behavior changes that they've made once they've understood how to work with you better in order to in order to be a better partner collaborator leader whatever it is um so really kind of looking at what is it that the individual is doing making an investment in in the relationship and how palpable is it well let me ask you about feedback i've been really um 
into this concept of getting people to give you honest answers. And for some reason, I thought you'd be very helpful in a discussion of how to get people to be honest with you. Like, let's say I want to be empathetic and I want to find out the truth about what I could be doing better. But, you know, it's really hard to get people to tell you the truth. Like they want to be nice. They they're afraid of you firing them. If mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, just for a number of reasons, they don't want to give you the feedback that you desire. So do you have any advice on how to get honest feedback yeah, so it is a tricky one and there are there are a lot of different ways we come at that and it kind of depends circumstantially on the organization but there are a couple ways we do it. So one is um and this is not my favorite but sometimes particularly in cultures where the fear of of retaliation from for honesty is high um anonymizing feedback is unfortunately a, a, a way to go. It's not my preference because I do think the the candid and and truly you know uh, transparent feedback of getting something from someone directly is often more valuable. But sometimes we have to get there by first getting a lot of the the toxicity out through an anonymized survey or um, you know interviews that'll happen one on one but are non attributed to the individuals that share stuff with us and then we share distilled insight out of that to clients and say here's what we heard from 15 people we talked to you know something like that um, so that's that's one way and then uh, another thing that we talk about often is uh, what are the 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 necessary things that our relationship will require in order to accelerate the trust between us. And having that conversation before asking for feedback is sometimes really valuable. So if I was to meet with someone and say, you know, what what do we need to do to trust each other more and deeper? And they say, well, you know, what I really need is to know that everything I tell you is just for you and that this isn't going to go in a performance review and this isn't going to go back to my boss. And if we can then build an agreement on that and they know that we are both coming at this from the same place, the willingness to share increases considerably, right? So setting the, the, the parameters early and transparently for both parties can really be very valuable. That's great advice. This episode is also brought to you by Balance Superfood Shots. And I'm going to tell you a really adorable thing about my, my wife. It's been a couple of times in the last uh, few weeks where like I was out all day running around doing stuff and I couldn't get like a nice healthy meal. And then she showed up where I was and she just pulled one of these out of her pocket. like, And then she pulled one out for herself. And she's, she's not a big person. They're tiny pockets. So it's pretty adorable. <laughs> Listen, it's a shot where you get half your daily fruits and vegetables in a convenient form. Like my suitcase is filled with them. Whenever I travel, I just have a handful of them wherever we go. And on our last trip, you were like, oh, did you bring some of those for me? Yeah, I did. And I was very pleased that you did. Everywhere I go. You brought my favorite flavors and everything. And now you can get a huge deal on uh, the superfood shots. You just go to the website, superfoodshot.co. That's .co, and you use Diana at checkout to get 30% off. There's three different flavors. There's an immunity blend, a green blend, that's my favorite, and then a turmeric anti-inflammation brand. You go to superfoodshot.co and use the code Diana at checkout for 30% off. What is Whoop, you ask? It's the ultimate fitness tracker that provides personalized daily insight into recovery, strain, and sleep. 
and it's just totally awesome. I have been trying a new health thing. Uh, I've been wanting to improve the quality of REM and deep sleep that I have. And what's really cool is I tinker with stuff during the day and my whoop is telling me that I'm doing much, much better in the quality of sleep I'm getting. And without measuring this kind of detail, you would never know. Yeah, you would have no idea that it's working. Yeah, I used to sleep a lot, but not get the kind of restful sleep that I need to regenerate my brain and body. And and this is the best way to measure. We have so many of our friends that have gotten whoops now. And it's like, I'm completely confident that they're going to be very thankful to us. So far, all the feedback has been incredible. And Whoop has provided an offer to our listeners to get 15% off your purchase with the code Diana. You just go to whoop.com. That's W-H-O-O-P.com. And use the code Diana at checkout to save 15% off and optimize the way you live. What if it's not somebody that you're in a work relationship with? You're not, you know, you're, you're trying to get feedback on behalf of an organization, you're trying to just be more open to feedback from others. In order for the individual receiving feedback to be more open, is that what you're asking? No, uh, for the person who's giving the feedback to just share their honest opinion. Let's say you're, Mm -hmm. um, you know, solving a problem for an organization. You're like, what do you think of this product and they're like, oh, it's great. You guys should definitely do it when they really don't mean that even a little. (laughs) Well, there's a problem. Um, I I would say, you know, one of the, one of the important things for any conversation work or outside of work too, like, I I mean, relationships are relationships, right? So like I, I sometimes, uh, uh, bristle when people say like, well, you know, like, you know, what, what are we going to do to market to our employees more effectively? Uh, because you know, we, 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 we don't want to market to them like they're consumers. Well, Well, why not? Like, you know, they are a consumer also. They're consuming everything from your organization every day, not to mention other organizations when they leave the building. So, uh, you know, one thing that I think helps is defining the, um, the why their input is valuable. Because if people don't think it is going to matter, often they'll just tell you what they think you want to hear. And so the example you just gave about like, you know, tell us if this product is, is, is good or not. And they say, yeah, it's great. Well, if, what if, what, what if instead we said, you know, you represent the type of consumer we want to get closer to and understand even more. And so we want to know what you think of this product, because if you have ways that we could make this better, if you have ways that could actually make your experience of this more improved or more connected or more thoughtful, we want to do it. We want to co-create. We want you to be a part of this process. That's very different. That's a very different way of inviting someone to give feedback than to say, what do you think of this? If they think that this is just like, you know, I'm picking up a focus group check in 45 minutes from now and I'll sit in a room and say some nice things, like, you know, you're not going to get great outcomes from that either. But if we can set up the circumstances where they feel like their feedback truly has value, then they're going to want to deliver value. Well, Michael, where can people follow you and your work and and get more advice on empathy from you? Appliedempathy.com. Easy peasy. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thank you. This was a great conversation. I appreciate it. Jesse, I want to thank you for bringing this content onto my radar. You you heard him speak, you read the book, and you're like, this has to be on the show. Ah, he was so good. 
This is this is why you're the producer. <laughs> Michael's amazing. You're doing a great job. My favorite part from the conversation that I use on such a regular basis and have told so many people already is the difference between the climate and the weather. So cool. And now I try to, like, a lot of times we start meetings by saying, like, what's the weather? How mm-hmm. are you feeling? And me yeah. sharing the weather and saying, like, this is this is what we can do. And now that we're both part of the professional AF uh, whoop team i know the weather a lot of times you know like if you're in the red and you come over i'm like okay we got to make this quick yeah i love it what was your biggest takeaway well to add on to that i love that you can separate you're able to separate yourself from the weather you're like oh that's just today this is just a moment in time this is it's not me beautiful yeah it's so great the climate so is beautiful yeah in this part of t- exactly <laughs> the weather's just a little it's not awesome today well one thing that i'm gonna try to do based on this conversation this is a a resolution that I have to be a better listener is whenever I'm in a conversation with somebody and they're saying something and I feel like that urge coming out to say something super smart or really a rebuttal to mm-hmm. what they're saying, I am forcing myself. This is a tiny habit. When I feel the need to say something, I am forcing myself to ask one question, hmm. any question. And usually when I do that, it takes the conversation in this like really interesting place, much better than if I had said my silly thing. I love that. Michael would call that you're the inquirer. And mine would be like, I want to be the confidant. I just want to be the person that they're willing to like share things with and talk to me. You're like, tell me something you're ashamed of. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me the last thing that made you cry. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, being able to have these different perspectives to come to the conversation. I love it. All right. Well, come join the conversation between me and Jesse. We're going to keep chatting uh, about being empathetic on the Facebook group for the show, Professional AF Podcast Insiders. I am Diana Kander here with Jesse Jacob, reminding you that curiosity is your superpower, especially when you're trying to interact with others. Talk to you soon.